Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast, Doom Pod Edition. Scotland have been put out of their misery. We are out of the World Cup at the group stage once again David, Matt, and Alan here to break it all down, to suffer together. Let's pull all that pain together. Alan, how you feeling, man? Scotland, Scotland we're, we're done and dusted. We're on our way home. I, I really just deflation. I think you know, you didn't even have much of an opportunity to get worked up last night. It was uh, it was very much sort of I think about ten, fifteen minutes in, we were sort of sharing messages that. <laughs> Even at five nil, and after about um, three kicks to the corner, it really felt like it was over. And then after Ian Henderson scored that relatively easy try, I sort of uh, sort of accepted our sort of collective national fate. And uh, yeah, just feeling quite sort of a bit down ever since. Deflation in an inflationary market, Matt. Does that sum it up for you as well? <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um... Yeah, I mean, I was I was a bit late to the match, so I was just watching a little bit of the start of Strictly, and I thought, if I miss a couple of minutes, it'll be fine. And then <laughs> looked at my phone, and it was like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> I was like, what could have... I was like, surely they haven't scored already. And yeah, lo and behold, that try. And from then on, it was sort of... I think I was in a bit of disbelief then, and that feeling didn't really go away until like the 60th minute or something. And then you went when back to just, Strictly. Yeah. Did you go back very, to Strictly? Or did I, was you double, I, was double screen, I was actually, I was double screening. And I think that sort of <laughs> cam, calmed me down a bit. Just let me, you know, get out of myself a little bit during the tough times. Extremely tough times as we have covered those, as I am sure you are aware. Although, God, if this is a spoiler alert, I've got some really bad news for you. Ireland won 36-14. Um, cantering 
literally very easily getting out to a 36 nil. Uh, lead before we bagged a couple of consolation tries within like a minute of one another. Um, we are going to break down the game. We're going to look at the tournament. We're going to talk about Tooney and the Tooney era and then have a little bit of a discussion about where it leaves Scotland. I imagine that will be a question that will come back to us over the coming weeks and months. But starting with the game, Alan, I mean, Matt's just touched on it there. Ireland score. We're saying it's two minutes in, but I think it was just over a minute. I, I think the, the Scotland team graphic of calling it two minutes was pretty generous. Um, and then it was all sort of down, downhill from there. I mean, Scotland just never got going. Were they just totally and utterly outgunned, or was there something that they could have done in your mind? I'm not sure. You know, it, <laughs> They were definitely outgunned. But it, it still felt like we didn't really throw a lot of shots. You know, it it felt like you know, we talked about people like Duhan and Darcy bringing them into the game a bit more. It felt like a lot of that didn't happen. I think we were chatting about pre that there was maybe one kind of I wouldn't say trick play, but play that was maybe something a little bit different. But but sort of outside of that, it all felt very just standard and relatively ordinary. And it was sort of a lot of kind of sideways movement kind of passing it across the line, maybe one hit up off Finn and then Finn sort of goes wide. And ultimately, I think probably Ireland have got maybe the best defence or most organised defence in, in world rugby. And yeah, it just, it felt like it needed something a little bit more inventive to kind of break that down. And I think that, that period of the, the first sort of 10 minutes just after James Lowe's try when Scotland kicked a couple of times to the corner couldn't get any malls going, couldn't get any go forward. That really felt like the moment when you're like, oh, we've we have not got this. <laughs> it did feel very lateral, Matt. I mean, it felt like maybe two Pilotu showman carried an awful lot of ball, but we just it's not even to say we didn't even win the game line battle. We just we never even really troubled it, did we? To be fair, I think in that First, post post the Ireland try, when we got back into the game, um, I think we were actually getting a little bit of change in in those tight exchanges and and making decent ground, particularly two below two. I think had a few good runs, um, sort of getting on the outside of of Sexton and setting quite a nice platform. But it it just didn't seem as if we could convert that, and ultimately it it came to nothing really. Um. I do, I do think we discussed this, that those two penalties, I, I appreciate that, you know, we needed to get the points, we needed to go and try and win the game, but I think just even three points at that stage would have settled things um, a little bit at least, or just given us some sort of platform going into the game. But um, I think after we had the, those periods of play, and Ireland got a couple of the turnovers that you saw, Andy Farrell celebrating on the screen. I think, Alan, you messaged us saying, I think that might be the game done. And I think that was at about sort of 15-minute mark or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you could... I, I was about to say the same thing. I was like, yeah, that's just... It was almost got the sense that Scotland could have kept attacking the way they were all day, and Ireland just would have been able to, to soak it up. Um, so, yeah, as I say... I, 
I think we we actually looked okay in that first bit, but post that we just couldn't get anything going. Yeah, and then it sort of just went downhill from from there. Um, a lot of a lot has been said. I was listening to a couple of the podcasts today, and there was a sort of heated debate online. Alan, was it embarrassing, or was it just that? Ireland are the best team in the world and they are probably going to go on and win the World Cup and we just came up against them, unfortunately. I think I think it's the mix of the two, to be fair. Like, 100% this Irish team is is pretty incredible. But at the same time, I don't think they actually played that well <laughs> last night. You know, they, they, they didn't play badly. and But I, I don't think they were getting to kind of their, their, their top gear. I think they were going through the, the, the motions a little bit. Um, even for that sort of first half when they, they sort of stretched out to the 24-26 point lead. So when you sort of take that side, I think actually, and you and I, I do still think it's correct to say that the Scotland team right now, especially on an individual-by-individual basis, is the best we've had of the pro era. I think it, there was a fair argument to be made that, that last night was a little bit embarrassing, given the fact that this was very much our sort of World Cup final. And as I said, yeah. I think the fact that we just, we we didn't make life difficult for Ireland in any sense. And that, whether that was from an attacking perspective, that it seems as if they could deal with what we had, they could soak it up. Um, We just don't have those ball carriers to to make metres in the same way that Ireland did. But then I think conversely in defence, like you know, Ireland's first two attacks were tries, like and one of them was pretty much off first phase ball. And you kind of think at that point, like it, Ireland are obviously great side, extremely well structured, etc. But it just can't be that easy. Um, so I think I don't think it's it's not a lack of fight or effort or anything. It's just I, it's hard, hard to put your finger on it. But as I say. We just couldn't put them under any pressure. Couldn't even slow down their ball whatsoever, which is, I suppose, one of the most dis- disappointing things. God, we're never going to make it anywhere as a podcast if you guys are going to not take the opportunity for some clickbait there. Admit, <laughs> well, admit think... that you're embarrassed. Admit that you're embarrassed, Alan. <laughs> the, the, other, the, other, the other lens to look at it through is we definitely think we are at least at the same level as England and Wales, or if not, potentially better. And I think if if we watched the match last night and at 50 minutes it was th- it, the same performance that happened, it was 31-0 to Ireland, we'd all be saying this is embarrassing for Wales and England. So, I think even through our lens, of, if you look at the Six Nations this year, we went in at half-time 8-7 up. Sorry, no, 8-7, uh, 8-7 down. Six Nations, this is the World Cup, the biggest game of the last four-year cycle, and it was 30 Two 0 or whatever it was at halftime. Like, I hope the I do. I think the players will be sitting there being like, "I'm quite embarrassed by this." Like, it's not. I'm not really making an, like a, a value judgment against them as people, but as professionals and within like, you know, recent recent memory of games against Ireland, it's not like they always beat us by thirty points in the first half. Like, it's quite no, embarrassing. No, yeah, yeah, big, yeah. <laughs> it's quite embarrassing on the big stage. I think. Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. And I think that's uh, even without, and I actually don't think anything that Kinghorn or anyone in the media said leading up to it 
you know, oh, we're going to beat them. I, I think that wasn't so outlandish. Like, it looks fucking stupid now, but, like, I, I don't really think it. But I think they should be a bit embarrassed. There's, I'm, I'm taking on the clickbait. If, I, if I'm going to generate some headlines, let's do it. <laughs> I, think, I think definitely, without singling out individuals, Ollie Smith's yellow card, he will be very embarrassed at that. That that's not yeah. the reason why we we lost the game. It was already over by that point. But think, things like that, and I even think like the little, I think the little scrap that we had. I wouldn't mind that that confrontation five minutes in. It was good to show that they're at least yeah, you know, tr- trying something. Kind at of that stage, it felt like really petty. Like that point, run out of ideas. I think it was pretty much 36-0 no at that point, was it not? Yeah. Um, so that that kind of thing was, I guess you could call it embarrassing in that sense. So I thought it was incredible that the TMO was like, this very minor attempt at a, a trip is a yellow card. Pierre Schumann chucking the guy <laughs> over the advertising billboard. Nothing to see here, lads. Incredible. Yeah, I... I agree. It it feels like in isolation. <laughs> like if that pure human push had started the, the oh, whole thing, it would have had such a harsher treatment. <laughs> I think he's a red. Yeah, yeah, arguably. I think, I think they yellow. felt sorry for us a little bit. <laughs> the TMO was like, there's nothing to see. What's, guys. The, what's the point? Yeah, the TMO was embarrassed. He didn't want to see it again. He's like, these guys are embarrassing themselves. <laughs> I, I hadn't quite caught the trip. And so I sort of only started, I only sort of saw Sexton sort of going at Ollie Smith, and I was like, oh, Sexton's such an asshole. I was like, this validates <laughs> everything I ever thought about him. And then you watched it, and he was like, he was being completely reasonable. This, He was actually <laughs> yeah. probably the, the best. And then obviously Turner came in and, was, and sort of shoved him. So, yeah, I agree. It, it just felt very petty. And I would actually use the word, I was sort of watching it, and I was actually just like, really, are we actually doing this? Because it just kept sort of then descending off into sort of like side scuffles. And and as you said, when you're, when it's sort of five all, and it's sort of, you're in the heat of battle, and it's kind of, everything's on a knife edge, you can sort of let that go. But when it's, you, when you're 31, 36 nil down, it just, it just feels a little, a little embarrassing. Since, since we've talked about the TMO, do you want, should we talk about the in touch, not in touch, at five, at five nil, felt like quite a big moment in the game. Now, I'll preface this with: would not have changed the outcome by any stretch of the imagination. But do you think, in, you know, it, it felt like quite a big moment, and it seems to be a wrong call that went against us, Matt? Yeah, I, I, I can't agree with the call, and I think before that, or maybe after that as well, James Lewis put a kick out in the full. I think, pretty sure he was out side of his 22 so it didn't yeah. help because I think at, at that moment it was only 5-0 and we were at least like applying a little bit of pressure yeah um, but yeah as as Alan and I discussed last week like I think Ireland on the day could have got a red card five minutes in and probably nothing would have happened I think the, the decision that I was most pissed off at looking at it again is I'm, I think there's a decent argument that for Ireland's first try, there was an obstruction in the build-up. Well, not in the build-up, that it was an obstruction from Byrne on George Turner that let Ringrose through. 
Because when you look back at the try, I was thinking, I was like, who's, who's missed that tackle? How has that happened? Like, that's such an awful miss. And then you look back at it and think, okay, well, there's quite a good reason for that. Um, and I, I saw a few people on Twitter, like, complaining about Nick Berry a lot. And I maybe got some calls wrong, but I didn't actually think he was that bad. And, as you say, it just wouldn't have made any difference. Alan, got any gripes with the officiation? No, I think I think um, Matt's kind of covered most of them. My my, my only thing on the Turner one is, uh, I don't know, I feel like he could probably make a bit more of an effort to sort of get round, you know. it's The the ball's clearly behind Byrne, and it's... Uh, I actually don't think Byrne really... Byrne doesn't change his line, right? He just sort of just walks relatively slowly forward. It's, it's not like some sort of like really obvious kind of aggressive kind of shoulder where he's like changed direction to stop someone. So I I I, I kind of can take that both ways. Um, I I do think the low kick and the Keenan foot and touch again. Don't think it would have changed anything, but I think given the dynamics of the match, five 0 down, Scotland have had this big period of pressure, and both of those just relieved Ireland of pressure that then would have kind of been subsequently come and sort of pushed it on for a bit more, bit, bit longer. So, again, wouldn't have changed it, but a bit frustrating that, especially because the, the Keenan one got sort of picked up and the TMO had a little look, it, it feels like there was definitely enough there to have sort of overturned it and the low one just didn't seem to get picked up at all. Frustrating. Any final thoughts on last night's game specifically before we sort of go and sort of zoom out a little bit and have a look at the tournament as a whole I, I why, think the point why, why are we shitting moles why are we crap at moles <laughs> why like literally like zero traction and then like the first as I said the first the island moles were just all over us I just don't get it <laughs> I'd, I'd say in recent years the amount of times we've I'd like to see our success rate percentage wise from five meter lineouts and driving malls, I think it'd be good against, you know, at, at Fiji or Italy or whoever. But apart from that, just I've pretty much zero confidence whenever we go to the corner in that situation. I think um, the na- both nationals and club teams for Scotland versus Irish national and Irish club teams, it's got to be like a zero from seventy-five like hit rate in terms of <laughs> yeah. like driving mall successes. I think um, just the the other the point I sort of touched on before was just I think that Dempsey had a few good carries. I thought Schumann was probably our best carrier, but I think it's asking too much for your loose head prop to be the guy who's putting in the main yards of the ball. And actually, I think in the end, it seemed like Richie Gray was popping up a lot with carries, and I think doing his very best in that context, but just nowhere near impactful enough and I just think that then you're asking so much of Finn to get things going when we don't have that front foot ball and that just seems to be a big issue but when we come up against the South Africa or Ireland um, our usual approach doesn't work and we just don't have a way of, of changing it or adapting or doing something a little bit different I guess. Just one other one to add. Just very frustrating how ineffective Duhan and Darcy 
were last yeah. night and have been generally against Ireland. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I thought, um, yeah, I agree. I thought, I thought Jordan's had a pretty quiet tournament as well, considering he was coming into some pretty good form in the last Six Nations. Just didn't seem to really get... I know he kind of helped set up that second try for Price, but apart from that, just it's not all his fault. Just Scotland weren't able to get him into the game, but yeah, it feels like a lot of strike power just completely not used whatsoever. And it feels like the... Ireland just, whenever Duhan gets the ball, he's just wrapped up and he just cannot get any traction. And that's happened both obviously yesterday and, and in any Ireland match I can remember him playing in. And again, Darcy, you know, it's clearly a mix of both. We're just not a, bringing them into the match as much as we need to. And Ireland just have a way of sort of dealing with them. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, as you said, it's frustrating. It felt like two of two was getting some good good go forward ball, but we then just couldn't transition that into causing much damage kind of outside thirteen. It it still felt as if Ireland, as you said, Ireland they're they're impressive in those key moments and they they're ruthless and take their chances and and their defence is good, but it felt as if they were pretty much in third gear the whole time. Like they weren't really stretched that much. I mean the fact they could basically take off like all their key players on 45 minutes. Um, yeah, it's just made it far too easy for them in the end. Yeah. And I think a lot, the difference as well is a lot of their player, their big players just made big plays at the right time uh, in, in key moments. So whether it was like Kalen Dollis or Tag Burn just getting big, big turnovers in their yeah. own 22 when there was at least some level of pressure on, obviously. Ring rules making a break. Just these kind of world class players who will step up when the moment is needed. And again, even even from a Scotland perspective, using that kind of turnover bit. When Ireland were on the ta- the attack and in our twenty two or in our half, it, it was very rarely you felt like Scotland were going to get a turnover. Ireland were able to protect the ball really well. And I don't know what it was, but just whether it's sort of your Darge Richies for the, for the time he was on the pitch etc. Just weren't able to really contest that much. Yeah, I think it's quite a big well, hopefully a big sort of learning experience for someone like Darge, who up to this point has nothing's really phased him, it's, it seemed, and that includes like big performances um, against the likes of France. But in this World Cup, I'd say against South Africa and Ireland, He's not been anonymous because he's clearly putting in like a, a lot of a lot of work, and I'd imagine his ruck and tackle count is high. But in terms of those turnovers, those big plays, even big carries, just hasn't really been able to make to make an impact. Um, so I wonder if the opposition has slightly figured him out a little bit, and he's maybe got to add a few things to his game. Yeah. Um, I was I was just thinking about that. Is that a decent way into thinking about the tournament as a whole? I suppose there's there's two different ways. There's the team, what went wrong, but then also has anybody come through it, sort of enhancing their CV, or has everybody else sort of has everybody had a sort of challenging time? Let's start with the team. Alan, obviously we kicked it off against South Africa, and then there there was that sort of uh, 
very long two-week pause where I sort of forgot the Rugby World Cup was on in a flurry of those big wins against Romania um, and Tonga. And then obviously last night's sort of devastation. How, and it's obviously, it's also the second World Cup in a row that we are exiting at the pool stage, feeling that we have not sort of put our best foot forward. How do you, how do you view the whole tournament, Alan, um, as a fan? And where does sort of, where does Scotland go from here? I think it's ultimately disappointing. You know, I, we, we, ultimately that is three of the last four World Cups we haven't made out of the group. We've had one quarter, one quarter final in 2015, which, you know, was, was great under Vern, but to, to have only got into the knockout stages once out of the last four, given, you know, appreciate we've had our issues in the past, but given the success that Scotland has had, especially in the last sort of eight years, in the Six Nations and in the Autumn Internationals, it's just obviously supremely disappointing. Um, and I think, again, when you look across both matches, Ireland and South Africa, it, 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 it never quite felt like we were really in either. I even think in the South Africa, I appreciate, you know, it was relatively close at halftime, but I still feel like that first half was, was us hanging on rather than quite a, quite a parity. And as I said, this, this, was, this isn't from me. I saw someone was posting online that there was basically sort of three halves of rugby that really mattered in this World Cup. The first two against Africa and the first against Ireland. Ultimately, second half against Ireland was, was gone. And in those three halves of rugby, we scored three points. And we're meant to be by far the best attacking Scotland team there's ever been. And one of, if not the best, attacking international team. And to only get three points from those 120 minutes of rugby, and then ultimately two two tries when the game was over against Ireland, just feels like Scotland hasn't really demonstrated how good a team it actually is. Fuck, I hate that stat. That's really bad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to really soak in that doom for a little while. <laughs> it's yeah. tough when the numbers really back up your emotions as well. When those two come together, that's tough. Well, and I guess, I don't know, I mean, with, with, with Tooney, as we said, it, you know, he's got a great legacy in the Six Nations. But when you look at the last two World Cups, there's four matches which have mattered. And, and and ultimately, all four we have performed significantly below the standard that I think we would set ourselves, right? Yeah, Ireland and Japan at the last one, and South Africa and Ireland at this one. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes! <laughs> but we qualified for the next World Cup, though, because we've come third. Oh uh, yeah. Good to have that in the bag. Yeah. No, that is good. <laughs> Although there's something um, to be said to a nice run in the repechage. Yeah, a bit of a confidence The romance builder. of the re- repechage down to that I, Ivory Coast or something like that. we wild. I, I honestly don't know if we're taking Portugal away. They, <laughs> they've just beaten Fiji, by the way. Have they? Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. Jeez Louise. <laughs> I think, Their under-20s um, are better than ours as well. Yeah, oh, 100%. Oh, I, <laughs> I think there is, there is still part of me that thinks we have been we we've been absolutely roasted by the draw draw and like 
anyone playing Sanafka in that first game is up against it massively. And then obviously you have the number one team in the world. I, Scotland didn't put either the, their best foot forward in either of those matches, 100%. But if, if Scotland were in any of the other groups, then I think they would have been confident, apart from um, New Zealand and France, sorry, of winning all of those matches, getting a bit of momentum, then who knows, right? But then at the same time, like, you can complain about the draw, and believe me, we have, and we will, but we've had, we've known about the draw for like three years now. We've had that time to come up with a plan to take on South Africa, to take on Ireland. We play Ireland every year. You'd, you'd think that Townsend is obviously an astute coach would have come up with some sort of way of beating them that isn't just doing the same thing again and again, which seems to be what we do do attempt. So I know it's, it's probably easier said than done because these are two sides that put you under massive pressure and don't haven't didn't let us play in either game. But to almost I think not fire a shot in either of those matches was was my fear after the first after that South Africa game, and and that seems to have come to pass. Depressing. <laughs> really depressing. Just just, just, just just constant depressing sort of <laughs> statements. <laughs> Do you think in terms of style of play though, like. Is there a path? To, there's no path to victory against South Africa or Ireland trying to do what they do. Like we don't have, we do not have the the physicality to take them on up front. So Gene Tunes is just looking at it. He's just like, the only way to do it is to try and go around them. And then obviously that doesn't work. And then you're like, well, fuck. We're just gonna have to try our, try our best here. Hopefully catch them on a catch them on an off day. Yeah. In a nutshell, maybe. Yeah. No, and maybe that's maybe that's correct. And you know, we were chatting about it again before. You know, it feels like no matter what, you know, a Gatland Wales team would never have let what last night happened happen to them. Maybe that's just the fact that they're maybe a slightly less expansive team, and they wouldn't have sort of got they wouldn't have ended up in sort of certain positions that that we do we we did because of the way we played. Um. At the, at the same time, you know, it feels like there is nuance within that. You know, it's not just you know, you, you you hit you hit it up or you you go super wide. You know, it, it feels like there is definitely options with within that spectrum. And I don't know. It felt like again, it just from a kicking standpoint, it feels like against both South Africa and Ireland, our ability to use attacking kicks. Has been much less reduced versus sort of the the Six Nations, or sort of just more generally under sort of the Tunisian sort of thin era, which is something that has sort of surprised me a little bit, just given who we're playing against. Any other thoughts from the tournament? Other than, I mean, I don't. We don't really need to cover Romania and Tonga, in my opinion. No, but we kind of no. did what we needed to do, right? We yeah. should beat those teams comfortably, and we did. Yeah, I think we beat Romania, them. Romania from 2011, like when we almost lost to them. Romania have gone down the swanee, haven't they? 
No, that's our pro- <laughs> that's our progress. That's how that's our is that our progress? Yeah, that's our journey. Simon Daniele getting in the twenty twenty three World Cup squad. I think Pete Daniele is. Pete Daniele could get in the squad. No way. Absolutely not. Hundred percent. Who's he getting in ahead of? Pete Daniele is getting in ahead of Carl Stein. Oh <laughs> <laughs> three Daniele. Some of those tries he scored against USA. Unbelievable. No, unbelievable. Doesn't count. <laughs> doesn't count. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't... Yeah. It's so hard to sort of compare the two. I mean, it does feel like 2011 was a real sort of low point in, in the Scottish yeah. rugby. Um, from a sort of quality standpoint. But, uh, yeah. I feel like we Is definitely... Anything we, can, anything we can do to bridge this gap? There's big structural issues, but like in the short to medium term, is there anything that we can do that we might be end this drought against Ireland, for example? <laughs> no, I like this I, program that England rugby are doing, just going around and finding like six foot ten people, being like, "Do you fancy a game?" Isn't it like just focused on like front row and second row or something? We should do that. That's what we need. There's, but are there any six foot ten people in Scotland? No. We're like no. tiny and stunted and... Richie no, and Johnny Ill. Gray were the two and we've already got them. Yeah, exactly. There's no one else. The other two were the Stoltman brothers, but they, they went into what's strongest man comps. So we, we're... we're <laughs> look, the Stoltman brothers. Scrum, to be fair. Yeah. 100%. It's, um... Yeah, I mean, short, short term... Uh, and or short to medium term, I'm really not sure. It's... I feel like everyone's getting a bit fearful now. The sort of... The mix of the under twenties, Edinburgh probably underperforming quite a lot yeah. this year. Scotland not performing well at the World Cup, and and so a lot of those players kind of getting back in the twenties, early thirties. <laughs> the sort of outlook for Scotland three to five years isn't particularly rosy. Maybe we should. I know we've been against the draw being done really early, but maybe we should strike while the iron's hot, and we're guaranteed <laughs> in the yeah. second part right now. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Maybe we've got the lobby all wrong. We were too focused on the short term. <laughs> Imagine we end up within the next year and a half dropping out of the top eight and end up in the pool of death because the draw's been done so close to the tournament next time. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh it's gonna happen. Who's the CEO of World Rugby? Gilpin. Alan Gilpin. Gilpin's just he this is he's playing the long game and we We'll be lucky he, we'll be lucky in eight years to make it into Alan Gilpin twenty four man uh twenty fourteen yeah, yeah. World Cup at this <laughs> yeah. rate. Got Portugal coming in. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that I mean that's a million dollar question. Like and it probably goes on to your assessment of Townsend now. Yeah. Like we can beat England hopefully now we're we're closer with Wales than we used to be. We still beat France on the odd occasion. But it's it's that those Ireland South Africa games that Yeah, have proved elusive. And it just you know, that's how many how many games it is for Townsend. How many losses against Ireland? There's little to take away from those that you you think, okay, well, there's a plan, or it gives you any faith that he can change that result in in the future. 
And I guess with the Townsend Ledger is he's taken us to fifth in the world. He's the most successful Scotland coach in the world. <laughs> is the bare reality of it that this is as good as it can get at the moment? Is there any coach in the world that can take our crop of players and beat Ireland and South Africa in this World Cup or, you know, in the in the short term? I don't know if there's if the, there's a yes answer out there that's reasonable. I think and I was it. tuning out post-2019. <laughs> I I think, I'll, I'll yeah. keep the receipts. It's literally on record. record. I think what you said, it said it like a like a macro level, like fifth in the world, etc. I don't think there was actually many other coaches that would have done much better. I think yeah. the point earlier, I think there was other coaches that could have got us in a better position to win one of these yeah. two matches. Um, Gatland. Gatland. Eddie Jones? No. <laughs> not, Eddie, not, Eddie, not Eddie anymore. No, no, no. I think maybe Vern Cotter, you know. Um, for for all his potentially sort of deficiencies as a coach, it, again, and I, I'm going to sort of contradict myself because obviously the, the England away result is one of them, but there wasn't a lot of times that we really um, lost sight of an opponent matches under Vern, especially in sort of big matches. Um, and maybe I'm just, maybe just the World Cup sort of blinkers my view a little bit. But um, maybe... To, just... to, be, to be fair, there was some... If you think of Townsend sort of like the second half of his reign, particularly post that 2019 World Cup, the defence has tightened up massively, right? And I think yeah, were, Warburton yeah. was talking about previewing the game in the Times this week. And was showing some of the stats from I think it was he was comparing countries across the last like fifteen matches, and Ireland were top of all of the key defensive stats, and Scotland were like second or third, to be fair, um, on quite a lot of them. Um, it it just seems as if those Ireland and South Africa are the kind of kryptonite, and and if you if you if the question is and then, and then it, it becomes the question becomes like can Townsend beat those teams, and and that's the reason why you that's what you base a decision to keep him or not on, rather than is he a good enough coach or it, has he reached the ceiling? Yeah. So Alan, tune out. I mean, there's, there's not really spare coaches around, really. It's. I think again goes to that question we discussed last time. Like, is there any better coaches out there? And ultimately, given sort of the timings, I don't think there really is anyone. Um, if there was an option, I know it's hypothetical, but yeah, I said I've always. I think sort of a coach from outside. Is in the market. Uh. Yeah. Not anti-Dave, but not sort of super Dave. No, he's not uh, in a great position. I've always thought JB Joseph could be an interesting interesting one. I think could have, given what he did with Japan and the Highlanders. I think Highlanders probably probably not too dissimilar team as well in terms of like didn't have sort of a lot of the size. I guess Super Rugby is a little bit different. He's always been the one that I thought could be a bit of an interesting addition. Um, but no, I think... It does feel again, though, and I feel like we sort of say this um, 
whenever we sort of have sort of a major loss, but it does feel like we need some sort of shake up, especially sort of around the forwards or in defence. Our defence has sort of like lost its way a little bit. Appreciate Tandy. Tandy is in kind of that role, but I feel like we need to bring in someone from the outside because, and I guess what's happened in the World Cup feels like we're we're missing something. If we that, want to make that step yeah. up, that that would be my. That's one of my thoughts. I think that Townsend's arguably taking this group as far as he can, and I think as we've mentioned, you know those crunch matches we haven't been able to get over the line. And I think that's probably like a Scottish collective feeling. And I, I wonder if getting someone from the outside who's just not been involved in the SRU at all could come in and just challenge um, the players, challenge like pre-held notions yeah. um, of how things are done. Because it's, you know, it's that it feels as if we're slightly like just trying the same thing again and again. And that has led to success to be fair in terms of like relative success. But if we want to become a team that like, I don't know, wins things or not even wins things, just, just takes that next step, then maybe we just need a slightly different approach. But once again, I don't know who the, (laughs) the the best options are out there. It's, it's, Reasonably slim pickings, I guess. Who was it that Dodson was sounding out? Leon McDonald. Yeah. Yeah. Is he he's is he joining the All Black setup with Yeah, I was just Scott thinking that. Good Scott question. Was, for some reason I think I thought he was. Um Yeah, he is, he is. And I guess the only other point we we have sort of talked about pre pod was, you know, do just Scotland have an issue? with sort of that World Cup rugby and just that pressure that comes with this once every four years tournaments where, you know, as I said, in this century, Scotland have played 11 teams in the top eight of the world and they've lost every single one. They've never beaten a team in the top eight in the World Cup this century and collective points difference is about 320 to 120. Now, obviously, that includes times when Scotland weren't particularly good, but that's multiple losses to Argentina, multiple losses to Australia, France, multiple to Ireland, multiple to South Africa and New Zealand. But to not have had one win out of 11 feels like there is is something that we're just not able... It's a big enough data set for us to be like, this is an issue. Yeah. Exactly, and I appreciate you know obviously in in 2015 yes that game against Australia, you know, there is the odd match that has been sort of super tight like that. You've got Scotland v England and Argentina in 2011, but actually a lot of them have been relatively comfortable losses. You know, even looking back at the last yeah. World Cup, sort of the Japan loss, you sort of forget that we lost 27-3 to Ireland, a team which would then sub- subsequently lose to Japan and then get completely hosed by New Zealand. So, fair enough when people are sort of arguing now that we've lost the best team in the world, but actually it happened four years ago against Ireland, and I think it's sort of retrospectively been shown that that wasn't as strong a team as definitely Mm -hmm. where Ireland are now and where Ireland were sort of 2017, 2018. 
I think the answer to your question is we do have a problem, man. I just don't. I, I, we're not big on solutions. This uh, this podcast, it's not our vibe. It's still raw. It's a good time to ask <laughs> ask ask the questions. You know, I think the problem is the the, the the question is that I has been in my mind and is not it's not an original one. Is that like fifteen years ago, Ireland were as bad as we are. Now Ireland are the best team in the world. The player pools are not that different in size. Whatever. Like they're not, it's not like Ireland's the biggest country in the world. It like still pales in significance to like England and France in terms of numbers. What I know, I know again, Alan, you've written, I think you wrote a, a newsletter on this, but like what, what can we do? Like you start with a blank sheet of paper, the SOU now, and we try and what invest over the next 15 years and hope for, you know, when our kids are at the World Cup, like that's, that's when Scotland are going to be good. Because in the short term, what are we going to do? Ship in more South Africans? Well, we can't really do that as much anymore because they've shifted it from three to five no, years. It's, it's hard. They've fucked our strategy. It's a uh, solution. But it does well, feel yeah, like we've... Bung- it feels like now... I know it's kind of like well-known, but it does feel that, like we've really bungled like the professional era. <laughs> I think the solution is staying us in the face. More Japan scouts. <laughs> I think it's another. It's another major league rugby franchise. That's, exactly. That's what we've not managed to mine yet. I don't know. Yeah. It's a difficult one. You know, it's not like there's a shit ton of money floating around, especially sort of post COVID. So, you know, the SOU's got limitations around what it what it can do yeah. and especially how much it can influence you know especially state schools right ultimately not many state schools are going to play rugby and i imagine if they're not playing rugby already it's going to be pretty pretty rare for them to start but no i agree it feels like <laughs> hopefully you can sort of use this plus the under 20s as a bit of a line in the sand be like <laughs> you said short to medium term you know we are where we are but to your point 15, 20 years down the line, how do we make, how do we take what Ireland have done and try and replicate whatever our version of that is? Because ultimately, to your point, there is a country with a very similar profile as ours, which has gone on that journey. Um, but I and that's not to say they haven't, you know, made the most of the rules with regards to residency and going and finding ancestry and what have you. That's all fair game. But yeah. that pipeline that's coming through Leinster academies and is an absolute joke. No, agreed. And I, I, I maybe it's maybe it's just this. I, I don't know that much about the Irish school sector, but I do know that an awful lot of that those players are coming from big private schools in Dublin, right? Yeah. So then, like, we've got big private schools. Now it shouldn't be the be all and end all. How come we're not getting? Watson's murky, Stumel, Edinburghies, Fetties, just like absolutely churning out these beasts. How come that's not happening? Don't know. I think, yeah, I mean, it's obviously, I don't know it that in depth, but I think that in, in the Dublin context, Leinster and the IRFU are really integrated with those schools from yeah. a pretty young age. So I think that, and I, I think that from what I could see from the outside, like a likes of Marcus and Castle, where 
effectively creating like their own rugby academy um, and trying to professionalise things. But it seems as if those those Leinster schools, it's everything's integrated in into mm. into the Leinster setup. Now I, d- I don't think that's the the only um, driver of the success. I think that having the no, four pro team, not. having four pro teams compared to R2 is, and four pro teams that are pretty stable and they're all kind of put, well, all owned by the RFU, obviously. That's massive. Um, and I, I'd say that they have like a centralized signing strategy, but we kind of do as well. So I don't think that's a, a massive difference. But it seems yeah. as if. For quite a long time, and once again, this is the benefit of having four teams that you could only bring in a foreign-born player if they could I or a either like qualify for Ireland at some point in the future, or they were like going to add a massive amount of quality and not take the place of an Irish qualified player. And I don't know if we quite managed to to get the same balance in in Scotland. You know the match has gone badly when we're uh, interrogating the, the Scottish school development system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I think we're kind of scrabbling around for answers a little bit, as everyone has been on Twitter in the last couple of days. Some of the, some of the solutions are are quite wild, but um, it's just, amazing. Looking... It's amazing the different ways in which Mark Dodson's bonus could have been spent. Yeah, that is a <laughs> common refrain. Right. Just looking at the the Scotland team, how how, how many players do you think are I guess are, are going to be around for the next World Cup? And maybe you can sort of start to build a little bit more optimism about the next cycle. Quite a few, quite a few, I think. Well, that's that's what I was just thinking. Like pretty Cable much the whole backline. Finn will be towards the tail end. I just I get the sense though that he probably has another tournament in him. Yeah, whether he's still operating at the. So what will he have done? He will have done two years at Bath. Probably will have returned to Glasgow for us uh, a farewell tour. Japan, maybe. Finn in Japan would be so good. Finn in Japan. I think Ali Ali Price would be thirty four. Maybe another tournament. Ben White. White. Maybe he's passed. He's he'll have gone by then. Um, scrum halves we, scrum halves always turn up for us like, we never create front five but we we're, scrum Jamie, half yeah Jamie Doby coming through Doby will come through but like Schumann Turner and Fagerson could all probably play again yeah maybe How not Turner. I think he's 29. like yeah. 29 um Gray, Gray and Gilchrist probably done but then yeah. that whole the whole back row could could play again. Do you think Richie will be Scotland captain for the um, Six Nations? Good question. It's a big one, isn't it? I feel like he's got to have at least another Six Nations as captain, and then maybe you sort of take a bit of an assessment. Yeah, like I don't really know who who's next captain yeah. of the rank, but like he's not Feels- nailed on starter. 
feels like Darge is the one that they've sort of pushed a little bit, but then he's not had a great tournament and he's still, you know, he's obviously, he's obviously 23, right? Um, Finn, give Finn four years as captain. Bit of a, like a Sexton, years. Sexton sort of like, obviously slightly kind of more like old, el, elder statesman playing from 10 as captain. Obviously he, yeah. he was, he was captain when Richie went off, right? Like yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but no, I think you're right. I think that, you know ultimately there's a lot of a lot of people there who are going to be sh- got another sort of four years. Excited to see sort of if you can keep them injury free. Four more years of Red Path. Guess interesting whether they sort of try and structure it in a way to have him and Sione together. Maybe just if Hugh Jones is you know he's getting he's nearly at thirty and feels like obviously potentially he might struggle to get through to that next World Cup. It feels like Red Path Sioni could have a nice sort of mix of skill sets together if you can do it in the right way. Feels Where like Hugh Jones next? is like twice almost moved to France. At some stage, surely he's going to be able to yeah. get one of those over the line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where is the next World Cup? Australia. Yeah, yeah Australia. 20, Australia 27. I reckon Jones is keen for a wee trip down under, do you not think? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he is. Good for his gram. He turns 30 at the end of the year. I don't think Hugh Jones is starting for Scotland at 34. Well, for, yeah. Maybe he's turning 34 in Oz. I, I thought Dempsey was older, but only 29. Fair play. I um, could see Dempsey going back to Australia at some well, point. To place or to allegiances again? No, no, no. Or just I, generally? I, no, <laughs> I, I think going going back to like resettling in Australia. I think okay. Dempsey's got a couple of years in um, France in him as well. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, and he'd absolutely love it. Oh, so to France, he would be. He'd absolutely love that. Or, or are we just massively overthinking it? And you know what? Scotland just had one really bad 40-minute period against Ireland. And things aren't that bad. <laughs> oh, mate, when we beat, when we're in, when we're in Cardiff, when we beat, when we beat Wales, first game of the Six Nations, everything will be forgiven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Team Tunic. Love it. Particularly if we're in the, if we're in the, in the train coach back to London with Finn again. Yeah. We've got to try and get that again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it just feels, I just think we will be here in four years' time. Possibly Maybe. not. The pod will be, like, biannual at that stage. We'll, like, grind to <laughs> such a hall of delivery. Yeah. yeah. yeah but, like, we'll always come just... back. I think this is the side of it, though. Like, we show up for the real grim pods. Like, we're not those sort of Johnny-come-latelys that come for the big wins. Like we 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 deliver when everybody is in need of like just a bit of misery. That we do. Yeah, pe- people are in the venting stage at the moment. It'll be so, interesting to look at the sure. numbers to this because I do remember the numbers after we lost to Ireland. First game of 2019 was the biggest podcast we ever did. Yeah, yeah. still still is the case. I think it still is. Everybody was just like livid they were so angry and everybody came together <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully we deliver again i think that, i think that's me done i think I, i'm not sure i've got much else to give yeah that's sort of 
drained me of any energy I had. Yeah. You gonna keep watching Enjoyable the World Cup? Uh yeah. I think team team Fiji. I'm I'm happy to get on board with that. And also my partner's Kiwi, so I probably should should sort of at least give like a bit of like supplementary support to that. Yeah. You're, you're I'd like man. I'd like to see I would like <laughs> I do think Ireland are getting a little bit high on their own supply. Like, they are clearly very good, but I would quite enjoy the quarterfinal curse to continue. Yeah. I, I would love to see New Zealand, like, just roll back the clock. I think... Yeah. I, I, I think it's France-Ireland final. I think it's what's going to be. And I think France will win. Be pretty tasty. Great. That would be great. It's quite and nice to, fit, to have, like, there's a lot of good rugby to come now. And without the stress of Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call it a day. Thank you very much for listening. Sorry we're so shit at recording podcasts these days, but it's still, it's good fun when we get together. Follow us on Twitter. That's where you'll find us most, at Thistle Rugby Pod. Um, I think the TikTok will be retired now for four years. We've given enough data to the uh, Chinese government to keep them happy. Um, so, yeah. Thanks very much, and we'll see you the next time we get knocked out of a of a tournament. Cheers. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.